Hi, thank you for listening to this episode of the Following Films Podcast, a movie podcast that takes you on a weekly journey into the world of cinema and into the minds of the talented individuals who shape it. I'm your host, Chris Maynard, and today we're joined by cinematographer Lynn Moncrief. Lynn has been passionate about photography and the moving image from an early age. That passion led him to an early MFA in cinematography from the American Film Institute. And since then, he's completed an eclectic body of work in narrative feature films. I sat down with Lynn to discuss his latest film, The Passenger, which is directed by Carter Smith. The film is about a man who's forced to face his fears and confront his troubled past as his coworker snaps and goes on a violent killing spree. But before we dive into our conversation with Lynn, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's. Bookman's is your go-to independent bookstore, where you can find an extensive selection of books, movies, music, and more. They truly believe in the power of storytelling and in the magic of the cinematic arts. So if you're looking to expand your film, music, or movie collection, be sure to visit your nearest Bookman's. There's always something truly wonderful to uncover. Have you followed the Following Films podcast on Spotify? If you have, well, thank you. If you haven't, go on, head over to Spotify, search for Following Films, and give us a follow. It really does help the show. So The Passenger is available on MGM Plus today. If you have the service, check it out. Just don't even listen to this episode. Jump right in, watch it, then come back and listen to this afterwards. It's a great movie. I think you're going to enjoy it. If you don't have MGM Plus, sign up for a trial and check it out. And while you're there, check out There's Something Wrong With The Children as well. Trust me, it would make a hell of a double feature. It's this crazy thing where Blumhouse is quietly filling MGM Plus with some pretty remarkable genre fare. So if you've run through everything on Shutter and Screenbox, you might want to give this one a peek. Oh, and uh, just so you know, MGM Plus has no way anything to do with the show. They haven't sponsored me at all. But if the fine folks over at MGM Plus happen to be listening, I would be more than happy to shell on your behalf. Hit me up, chris at followingfilms.com. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Lynn about The Passenger. Enjoy the show. Hey, Lynn. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you today? Not bad. Dude, How thank you, you so much for taking the time to do this. And thank you for being willing to move this back by a little bit. Appreciate it. Oh, that. of course. Yeah, not a problem. So I, I got to tell you right away how much I loved this film. Um, I was absolutely floored by it. This is one of the rare movies where I saw a trailer and my expectations got incredibly high for it. And I was actually not let down by what I saw. This is just a... Oh, wow. uh, incredible film i hope you're really proud of what you've done here yeah i'm very proud i think what was interesting to me was because you know it's coming from blumhouse so the expectation is it's going to be this total classic horror slasher thing and i think it ends up it surprised me when i read the script how much more how much more depth there was to it and the drama of it and um having worked with carter before and um so i was very excited to be part of it so um i i hope that there's an audience that finds it and 
um, you know, as, as compelled as you, you are to see it, you know? Well, that, that's ex exactly what I wanted to get into was this idea of it being a horror film and is, I mean, there's certainly horrific moments in this film. It does not shy away from the violence, but that doesn't feel like it's in here in any way outside of serving the narrative that the explosion of violence that happens in the beginning of, of the film, it needs to carry weight to it because it goes on for a long time where this is really just two characters interacting in a car for quite a while before anything else happens. And you have to have that threat of violence kind of hanging over the entire film. Yeah. I, you know, what was interesting and part of it is shooting it too, was it, it had to be this like very, you know, it, the, the premise being that um, uh, you have this one character, Benson, who kind of cracks or flips at this moment of and has starts killing people at the workplace at this fast food place. Um, and part of that was, you know, how are we going to film this that it was going to be impactful and we wanted, I think, for Carter and myself for it to feel as realistic and from point of view of our main character as possible. Uh, to not overshoot it in a way that's like, uh, you know, uh, John Wick or something that's <laughs> just over stylized, sure. but just like really matter of fact, uh, try not to cut away from, from that action. And, um, uh, and then, and Carter and I talked at length about this the other as well is that you don't see some of the violence as you know it it kind of goes off screen for for a portion of it as well, yeah. and um, uh, it was really just trying to keep as grounded as possible in that violence. And certainly, living in America, and we all know of like workplace violence and all these other things, it it was trying to like not over stylize it in any way that it, it, it can feel as true as the experience it could feel for our main character. You know? Oh, and, and I think that comes through because it's not something that is, it's not stylized, but it doesn't mean there's not thought going into what you see that there is camera work here. There's movement that absolutely is building tension that's supporting what you're seeing on screen. It's never doing something that's deflecting from it or giving it a sense of beauty. It's, it's just a sense of dread the way that you have these low angle shots in the beginning of the film, the way you're pushing in even around like the tables in the restaurant and these things that are just really incredibly composed shots, but they do have this very um, ugly feeling at the same time. Yeah. So, there, but there's, there's thought in it. It's not something that is, uh, they didn't know what they were doing. They created something that is ugly by design. Yes. And I, and I think that was a big, if we were going to move the camera, it had to be like very, very intentional because the camera doesn't move often in this movie. Yeah. Um, and that was a very conscious decision. Um, you know, this was my second movie with Carter in the, in the first film, it was all handheld um and carter likes to have a real naturalism about his movies which yeah. is kind of in this is a very dramatic naturalistic drama in this but he he really wanted to depart from the way we had shot his previous movie and it was really about having those very considered composed not moving shots and when you move the camera it should have like a real 
tension to it. And um, that's one of the few places right off the bat when the violence happens, uh, the camera moves, you know? So just as a side note, swallowed, it's one of those things that it's just a film that um, you want to see a a piece that's built around tension and just the, what in God's name am I watching? That is definitely one of those films. So, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I wasn't part of Swallowed. Uh, yeah. So it, it, that was like a very tiny micro budget that mm-hmm. um, Carter uh, did on it, but it was absolutely incredible movie. And, and, and Carter is such a great director to work with because he can build this tension in a very simple way. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's just his, maturity as a director that is he's unafraid of performance and unafraid of building tension not cutting away from things and uh it's i finding at least for myself professionally that it's a rare thing for me to to have a director that's so assured in, in that way you know? oh well it's both both those films and that was connective tissue that i was drawing between these two things it's the you could remove elements of the violence completely from, you know, both of these films and they would still hold up because this is both, you know, both these have deeper stories that they're trying to tell through the lens of genre. It's just something that's incidental. I mean, here in um, the passenger, you're clearly dealing with, you know, gun violence, these kinds of things, but there's also this whole other idea, which is one of the main threads of it um, of altruism. And when we stand up for other people, is it really just something you're doing for yourself in a way? And there's also this, uh, you know, where this interaction, is there a net positive in any way from this? Is there anything that happens through these horrible, horrible acts that we can move on from and gain something from it? And I think that there's something incredibly profound and something that people would push up against that they would maybe not be comfortable with even talking or thinking about things in that way because this is not a simple this is bad story yeah no it's it becomes and you know that was something that i think also fascinated carter about this story in particular is that and i and i think other movies similar in that you start to have sympathy for this person that has done this very violent thing and through the course of the movie you're drawn into this character, not necessarily you're rooting for the character, but you're kind of emotionally pulled in, in a, in a different way. And it's a very complex kind of idea. And I, and I think that's what really attracted him to the script initially and what he wanted to explore in the movie. And I, and it, you know, Carter and I would generally just have these kind of open discussions about it. And that was one of the things he discussed. It wasn't like we were trying to pinpoint something, so heady about it right. it was something he he wanted to explore in that idea and with the actors and it's he yeah. gives so much room for performance you when you're making this that it is something that is absolutely character driven where and, and i use this as a compliment this does not feel stagey at all but you could take this material and make this into a play because this is so dialogue driven and it is performance based where you just yeah. want to get as close to the actors and their performance as possible and tear down any of those walls that separate you. And I think that when you have overly complex character work or these, you know, big set pieces that you can lose that. Cause this is 100% a character piece where, it, you know, watching this, it was just, uh, I couldn't believe, uh, you know, it, it's a very sad and disheartening film, but there is, little bit of hope in it and it's just this 
complex film. It's not straightforward. It doesn't yeah. spoon feed the answers, which is pretty rare. Yeah. And I, and I think for me, from a process point of view as a cinematographer, uh, you know, because he want not that the characters are moving a lot of weight. He, he, he certainly wants to create an environment for the actors that they're not inhibited by certain uh, marks that they have to necessarily hit or they have to be in a certain specific lighting all the time. And it, it, that, you know, for instance, in the ending, it is just this kind of, they end up in this diner in the end and, and the, the, everything kind of goes down and he wants to run the whole scene through it's a it, it's like we don't cut you know often you'll you'll be like okay we'll shoot yeah, this angle yeah. and shoot this just this line and then even though we were working a very singular camera um you know for um uh you know kyle's a, a character uh he would just run the whole scene through the whole 10 minutes and it, we would just i i mean by the end Kyle's just exhausted but it's kind of what he wanted from the performance, this very exhausted thing. And it, it's a very interesting. And for me, it's just like, how can we create the aesthetic we want, but not trying to uh, box in actors? Um, and, you know, every movie, movie kind of dictates what how you're going to work in that way. And with Carter, that's kind of his wants and needs and, and and that's kind of the process I end up kind of working with, you know? So. Well, Kyle is almost un unrecognizable in this movie, but there's not a ton of makeup. It's not anything. It's just the way it's a physicality. It's the line delivery that he's giving. He's so embodied in this that it, it took me a good 10 minutes to even recognize him in the movie that it was like, Oh my God, wait, <laughs> that's, and there's it's very subtle what the changes that he's yeah. making there, but he is just so gone in this character. That this does feel like something like, oh, this is the first time I'm seeing this actor. I should really pay attention to them. Yeah, no, it was in, it was a lot of fun for me to to operate camera on this, which I don't often do. And and part of it, and I, I miss the joy of that, is that as when you're operating the camera, so you're right there with the the actors and the performances, and to to see his transformation in this movie and just seeing his process working every day was really fantastic. That's very cool. So then, is that something uh, that is necessitated by budget, or is it something that operating is just okay? This is a for a specific reason. I will be operating on this one. Yeah, I think, you know, as I started out in indie movies, um, so that was just the lay of the land um, and when I started, which you were the DP and you operated and everything. As I kind of yeah. moved up the chain of budgets and especially now uh, when things become multi-camera, and this was also multi-camera, but um, with the idea we still approach as a very singular camera look. Uh, I find most often it's better that I'm sitting next to the director at video village uh, because you, you have those kind of creative dialogues often in front of a monitor and you have other people around and you, 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 you want to be there to preserve that conversation creatively with a director. And then you have multi cameras. You, you, 
you kind of want to see what else is happening and, and, and kind of dictate to make sure that those things are done correctly with second cameras and third cameras on this, because I had already worked with, um, with Carter and we already had a very strong and trusting relationship. Um, I just creatively felt kind of instinctually that I would just be better if I operated the A camera on this. Cause I knew kind of exactly what he wanted aesthetically. He's a very, like I said, he, he likes to have a very intimate set, uh, not a lot of people and things around. And I just thought it would preserve that one extra less person be there. I'm, it can just facilitate a little differently. Um, and knowing that, again, we already had that trust. A lot of those conversations I knew we didn't have to have at the monitor. Um, and then I, I had my B camera, uh, uh, an operator, Chris Flurry, who's out of New Orleans, um, who is also my steady cam operator, um, function as my B cam, but because I had worked with him and trusted him as well, I, I, it, it was easy for me to say, Hey, can you go find this interesting shot? And I didn't have to necessarily like micromanage that. Sure. And so it, it it was a unique situation, this particular set where I just felt there was a, a, just a community of trust among a lot, a lot of creative people. And it just, um, for this particular reason, um, it worked out well. But the last, I'd say, five or six movies I haven't operated. So it was really nice to kind of get back behind camera again. And again, uh, the thing I miss probably ultimately is being right there too with the actors I, I, when you are at monitor as a cinematographer you you kind of lose a little bit of that rapport and I, and especially the last few years with covid and and having to manage that on set um it, it just created even more kind of creative distance and so it's just nice to be back in the seat again you know to operate so so then with COVID protocols and all those changes that happened, did your background in independent film where you were kind of the one man band in a lot of ways where you're doing all these, you're essentially, you're a department head slash department in yourself almost a lot of the times. So how did you think that helped you for the limitations of the number of people that you could have on set and all that? From the initially that very first project kind of pre vaccine. Yeah. Right. When production started up again, um, I had done a movie and they had kept it very, very bare bones. And yes, I, I think certainly in many ways, I, I love it when it's a, there's most pared down as off as possible. Um, I, especially with this, these type of dramatic movies, I think it, it just, there's a, there's a real camaraderie, I think, when there's less people. You you just yeah. you feel like there's less of a machine and, and just more has that indie spirit. Um, so I think it certainly has helped me that coming up through the ranks. You know, for me, it, I decided to try my hand at being a cinematographer early on instead of following up the the ranks of ACs and operators in that way. So. I think what has helped me along the way now is just that idea of working very quickly and having to be able to pivot if things go wrong, which is filmmaking, right? It's it's ha- you're like, 
yeah, it's going to happen. And, and then how do you make this choice? And, and Carter is very much the same way. I think, you know, he's done many indie films and uh, he, he's very good at making changes on the day as needed, you know? Um, and so where did you guys shoot this, by the way? So we shot in New Orleans. Okay. Well, okay. Um, and, but we were trying not to show that. It doesn't feel we, like it. it yeah, it, it was very important to have a very like, it should feel small town. That's, it, the idea was like small town. Uh, it should be a town that feels like it's dying, that's been forgotten. Yeah. Um, and it also, it, it was kind of, it, it shouldn't necessarily be pinpointed to a, a date like, we know it's modern enough that their cell phones exist because it plays, yeah. but we didn't want it to feel like, Oh, it's 2023. You know, it should feel like it's a town that's been forgotten and lost. And, and so uh, for some of the driving portions, you know, we, we went out of our way to try to find as much <laughs> flat landscape as you could, which is, there's not much in Louisiana in in New Orleans proper, you know, where yeah. we had to shoot, um, and so we, we were we found what little landscape there was, and kind of exploit that, and and then we found some um, and a completely opposite side in Chamet where there are a lot of uh, refineries and things mm-hmm. like that, and, and tried to use that as some of our visual backdrops. I, I mean, you nailed it because I, you could have given me an hour to start guessing where you shot this thing. And I never would have come up with New Orleans for this. I mean, that's something that me and my wife, when we watch this, we were talking about where is this supposed to be? Is this like Nebraska or is it like somewhere yeah. in the middle? Like where it's, it, and it does have that. This could literally be anywhere that this just does have that sort of neutral feeling that it's not something that is, uh, has that stamp of this is a issue that is specifically geography it's not that it's this is something bigger story really yeah he he you know it, the f- today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by bookman's do you have books movies or music gathering dust on your shelves give them a new life at bookman's they gladly accept trade-ins and buy used media Clear up some space for new artistic journeys while knowing that your books, movies, and music will find a loving home. On my latest trip to Bookman's, I found a copy of the 1946 film Beauty and the Beast. This film is an absolute classic and a cinematic treasure that has stood the test of time, captivating audiences for generations now. This film is extraordinary. It weaves a spellbinding tale that touches the heart and ignites your imagination. From the very first frame, the exquisite artistry and attention to detail transport you to a mesmerizing realm of fantasy and wonder. Cocteau's visionary direction infuses each scene with poetic elegance, and it allows the story to unfold in a visually stunning and emotionally resonant manner. One cannot help but be captivated by the production design and breathtaking cinematography. The opulent castle, with its haunting corridors and magical rooms, becomes a character in itself. And this isn't like when people say New York is a character in the film. This is a literal character in the film. The ethereal lighting and intricate set pieces create a visual feast that immerses the audience in a realm of enchantment. What truly sets this rendition of Beauty and the Beast apart 
is its ability to delve beyond the surface and explore the complexities of human nature. The film delves into themes of love, sacrifice, and the transformative power of acceptance. It reminds us that true beauty lies within and that appearances can be deceiving. The allegorical elements presented throughout the story add depth and thought-provoking layers, making it a timeless tale with universal resonance. Beauty and the Beast, it's nothing short of a triumph when it comes to storytelling and craftsmanship, a true cinematic gem that continues to captivate audiences even after decades. There's very few things you can see that were made 80 plus years ago, or almost 80 years now, I guess, if I'm doing my math correctly, um, that still hold up. That stands as a testament to the power and imagination and the enduring appeal of a tale as old as time. If you seek a film that transports you to a world of magic, look no further than this timeless masterpiece. I cannot recommend the film highly enough and recommend that you go to your local Bookman's to unearth your new favorite film. Remember, Bookman's has your cool covered. Enjoy the rest of the show. He wanted like, and I think even in the in the film, they're saying this the the fast food place that they're working in the beginning is shutting down, and yeah. we we had to find this one place where there's nothing else around it. And the art department productions, I converted it to make it look like it was it could be kind of a fast food type place. But um, that was important for Carter. Like, it should have no distinction. It should just feel like it's an America. It's America. It's American story. You're not sure, yeah, is it Midwest or not? And that early, you know, we started shooting. I'm trying to think uh, in the February, maybe early March, and the concern was those fields were going to turn green. And so it, the the first thing we shot were all those all of the driving stuff, anything you would see landscape, because it was important that everything look as dead as possible. Is that it everything brown was like the the go-to color palette on this it was like every the car had to be brown what they're wearing in the the fast food has these kind of brown and, and kind orange. of 70s yeah orange and yellow yeah and, um the landscape had to feel br- brown we, we were a little upset that everything was so green around the 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 kind of fast food place we tried to do as much to kind of de you know desaturate the color you know and color timing but for the most part that was always yeah even when the benson's house we go and it's all the wood paneling so brown was like this very <laughs> it's very strange but that was like this in lieu of being kind of a black and white movie it was really about how much can we take out of color or have these very, very earth neutral tones through the most of the movie and then by the end, when we get to this diner, we have these very like hot pinks and cyans and things that are like very contrasting to this devoid of color through through the majority movie. And you you do see some color that's introduced, um, not to give away exactly where they end up, but there's a moment before the diner. There's kind of the catalyst yes. of how they end up there. You start to see some light in that moment, and there is some introduction of there's there. That's where the hope starts to show itself. I think is in that yes. interaction. So, and then by the time you get to that, where you get to these hot pinks and these neon colors that are there, that's when you're in really the most heightened and stylized moment of the film. When I think that it becomes sort of the uh, modern crime noir element of it really starts to show up in that last scene. Yeah, totally. It, and it was interesting because those initially was 
Carter had said to me, he wants everything to be like a hot pink at the end. And a lot of it was in my mind, like, oh, this is, you know, callback to kind of the 1950s diner kind of vibe, those, those neons. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was, I think, the only place for me, lighting-wise, he really wanted there to be a real distinction from the rest of the movie. Um, and because it takes the place, of course, of a day from early morning till night, it had to have that kind of uh, naturalism all the way through all daylit naturalism, you know, up until that point. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think a really nice contrast visually. Just out of curiosity, um, there's certain things that are left out in here um, by design. And how far did the story go with Kyle's backstory? At, at any point was that more fleshed out or has it always been fairly ambiguous there's a lot of head nods to things that you can kind of extrapolate out exactly what happened but i think that the audience is doing the lifting there instead of having it really explicitly lined out they are yeah i i think what you see in the final product is almost nearly everything that's in that was written the only thing that um that to my recollection, really taken out is um, some early scenes with uh, Bradley, um, like Randolph, uh, when he wakes up in his interaction with his mother. There, there was a whole section early on before he goes out to the fast food. He has this um, uh, conversation with his mom, um, which I think was left out. But in terms of Benson. Was that the question was about Benson or about Brad? Well, it's kind of, I mean, we go into, uh, I, I'm sorry, I lost my my names of the yeah. characters for a moment there. Yeah, I know. They, it's kind of, uh, yeah. Benson and Bradley. So mix, like in yes, my mind, yeah. I'm like, which one am I complaining? So that's why I was using Kyle's yeah. name where it's like Kyle's Kyle, story yes. is it's a little bit more ambiguous. And then it is. really the other story is where you get that explicit explanation of kind of what happened there. Yeah, it doesn't. They're just like little breadcrumbs of things. And like you said, the the audience has to kind of fill in those gaps or have to make the assumptions, I think, for themselves as to what Kyle's character goes through. You know, for for Kyle's own process, I don't know. I know uh, I was talking with Carter yesterday and, and he was telling me some things behind the scenes in terms of just backstories uh, about clothing. That's what I was going to say. Did the sweater, does the sweater give a hint to what his backstory is in some way? Oh, that's interesting. I I don't know. Personally, I I absolutely love the sweater. Um, Amazing. (laughs) A a choice I never would have thought of, but it was something that was so beautiful. I I loved it. It was something that's just it. Yeah. And it's never mentioned, never. It's just there. it's It's, it doesn't. Yeah. It, uh, for some reason, for me, it reminded me of like, um, like the, the 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 cardigan that uh, like the Nirvana, sure, front, you know, uh, used to wear and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it it's such an out there choice. But yeah, there's no real and like even the T-shirt he's wearing is so interesting, and it's not really uh, um, explained or anything. Uh, and I, and I know there were conversations between 
and yeah. wardrobe and the costume designer and Carter and the actors. And those, I wasn't necessarily privy to that. Those are things that they all together, uh, I think put together as a team. Um, and I, and I know the, uh, the thing we were joking about yesterday was that, uh, you know, Johnny's character gets these other clothes and they're, they're really oversized for him. You know, mm. they get, yeah. he's got blood on him. They come to the house and he's like, here, try these clothes on. And Carter was just telling me the kind of behind the scenes discussion of the actors and that. It just So I know there for the actors, they had their own various backstories about how these things make logical sense. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily privy to all this. I just know from the script version, there isn't, what you see in the final wasn't really left out for any of Kyle's character. So to kind of go to back to that original point, I think it's just, I, I think for Carter, it just was interesting that there's just only little bits and pieces and, and nothing's really kind of fed to you too much. You well, know? I, that's one of my favorite things when I can feel there's a story there that they know the answer to but I'm not being told what that is. It feels like these are choices that are being made for very clear reasons. Um, but I don't need to be told. I don't need to be in on that. Sure. I'm kind of glad that you don't know because I don't need, I don't want the answer to it because I kind of prefer projecting my own answers into that. And it kind of ruins it yeah. sometimes. I think when you find out what the reality of that was, and it's probably something far better on their end than what I've come up yeah. with, but I do appreciate being given that space. It, it is interesting uh, that I think there has been, there's definitely more of um, a trend in movies where everything has to have a reason and understanding, and that has to be a scene about that or an exposition yeah, about no. that. And and I, I was just watching uh, too long ago, the, uh, Ridley Scott's Alien. Love it. And revisiting that, which is absolutely amazing. But what I love so much about rewatching is just, these characters that you just through who they are, like I was saying of like the Harry Dean Stanton character and they're like these blue collar yeah. characters and they're talking about, are we going to get paid? And it's all these things. And it's just like these conversations that you, you just understand who these characters are. They're not trying to give you a lot of exposition of backstory of understanding the reasons of why's of everything. Like it doesn't have to be a logical sense. It's just no. throws you in an environment as you're the fly on the wall and you don't have to understand every aspect of the character. If that makes sense. Like, Oh no, no, no. That, that yeah. makes 100% yeah, yeah. sense. And yeah. that, that that's what, to me, that's what makes a film feel lived in. And it's yeah. one of those things that you're just playing catch up. It's just literally the fly on the wall. Like you were saying, that's the neo realism thing where it's just, let's, it absolutely cut out as much exposition as possible and just make this so that is just peeking over the wall and seeing what's going on in the neighbor's house. And that's your film. And I, and I, yeah. for me, I actually appreciate that kind of storytelling, but I, uh, I, I got to throw out one thing about your other work though. To me, I think yeah. vengeance is probably one of the most underrated films of the last five years. I think it's an incredible oh, wow. film. BJ Novak is the real deal. I don't know how that movie is not the movie that everybody's talking about. I know, I know that it, it did well and on streaming, but it's just that's such a wonderful film. I he kind of oh, thank piss, you. He pisses me off because somebody can't be that talented. It's just you can't give it all <laughs> to one person. So yeah. No, that I mean it's 
in a strange way, it's almost a companion piece to this movie because it's it's about this exploration of America and kind of psychology of that and all these things. And I I was blown away when I read the script. I mean, like, it's and I was so honored to have been a part of it. It it wasn't an easy movie to make because we did get shut down because of COVID. We we started shooting in March 2020. And uh, the you know all the production shut down on March thirteenth of yeah. twenty twenty. So we had only gotten a few weeks in, and then had to revisit it about six months later. But um, thank you for saying that. I, I I love being a part of it. It's one of my favorite movies I've been a part of, and just a great like the cast was so fantastic to work with, right. and just so funny, and it just brilliant to to be there. Um, yeah, it's the, I, I think people overly compare other films to the work of the Coen brothers, but that felt like something that could have absolutely been that space for performance is the key to both those films for me. And I think that if that's your style, it's that your style doesn't get in the way of actors, which is, that's an important one. I, and I, and those are the movies I love watching also. So I think it's kind of just a reflection of, I want for the movies that work well, like those, I think it's, it's the same really reflecting on the movies I love watching. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time to do this today, man. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure to meet you and congratulations yeah, on the films, man. You've I'm oh, a fan. So I'm much. on board. So yeah, I, I enjoyed what you're doing. Cool. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And hopefully I get to talk to you again sometime. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Thanks, Len. Cool. Take care. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
always crack.